Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Press Gallery interview, our midweek edition of the Press Gallery podcast. I'm Claire Clancy, provincial affairs reporter for the Edmonton Journal. And here in the studio, I have with me Culture and Tourism Minister Ricardo Miranda, who's also MLA for Calgary Cross. Thank you and welcome. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. And there's so much we could talk about today, but first I just want to say congratulations on your recent marriage and how is marriage treating you? Thank you. Uh, You know what? It was interesting. I had this conversation with my now husband and I thought, you know, something's going to change the moment we say I do. And then we realized the next day it was the same thing. It's just that we happened to be married. (laughs) It was was quite comedic, actually. But uh, (laughs) yeah, it hasn't even been a month yet. And uh, it there's so much that has changed, but nothing has changed at the same time. I don't know if I'm explaining that right. Yeah. And um, you had the premier was your officiant That's at the right. wedding. So yeah, tell us what was that like? Well, you know, we when we thought about wanting to get married and, and who would do it and, and you know, uh, his family, my family and all that, um, we thought, you know, it would be really great if the premier could do it. So, um, so you know, we kind of texted back and forth and then all of a sudden she's like I would love to do it I said great <laughs> yeah so, I saw the um the photos on Twitter it looked amazing yeah. it was so much fun I mean don't get me wrong it took uh, a little bit of um uh, preparation especially when you're doing it from here Edmonton and everything took place in Calgary so most of it was done through email phone calls and uh texting as well yeah. but uh <laughs> it turned out really well and I was so very happy um it was it was really special yeah and I know that um politicians are always trying to kind of balance their private and personal lives. And you made the decision to kind of publicly celebrate um, your marriage and your wedding and make that announcement. Tell me a bit, why did you decide to announce your engagement publicly? You know, I've always been a very private person, at least when it comes to my personal life. It's uh, it's not something that, um, that I particularly go out and share. Um, on social media, I, I'll post pictures of my nieces and I having fun, you know, those kinds of things, because, you know, it's it's still part of who I am and part of my family. Uh, but uh, what we saw leading up to the wedding, especially, was a lot of um, rhetoric out there and a lot of really hateful messages. And, and I thought, you know, there's somebody still struggling out there and there's all these conversations coming up again about GSAs and, 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 and things of that nature. And I thought, you know, there, there is somebody out there who is struggling just like we did. And here we are, um, about to take this next step in our lives. And there might be somebody out there who, who doesn't think that they could ever have that. I know when we were even having the discussions, I, I asked him, do you think you, did you ever think you would actually have the opportunity to get married? You know? And, uh, the other thing was, Quite frankly, I sat across from somebody who spent uh, a lot of time in the legislature, uh, uh, spent a lot of time uh, of his previous career wanting to stop me from being able to marry like any other human being uh, in this province. And so all those things kind of came together. And I thought, you know what, I, I, I owe it to the many young people that I've talked to who uh, are not ready to come out of the closet for many, many reasons, and also to my community, because it does make a difference when you are, visibility makes a difference. It actually can save lives. Um, And so all those things put together, I thought um, it was was okay to do it. And of course, Chris and I talked about it, um, and he was uh, initially hesitant, and and quite frankly, so was I. But um, the more we thought about it and the more we talked about it, the more it became apparent to me that it was something we should do. 
Yeah, and it was so lovely to see such a happy celebration. So I really want to say congratulations. Thank that's you. That's so great. Yeah. Um, and I mean, just on that note, though, tell me a little bit. You're the first um, openly gay cabinet minister in Alberta's history that we that we know of. Um, and yeah, tell me, what has that experience been like for you over the last few years? Have you faced a lot of challenges um, being open about that part of yourself? Yes and no. I mean, there there are times where uh, people have come up to me and said some really um, not so nice things, but um, that hasn't that hasn't been any different than being Hispanic or or Jewish or anything else, right? Uh, there are people out there who are just uh, very set in their ways and very hateful um, and and toxic, and unfortunately, that uh, that that still happens, and and that's why I think it's important to actually deal with those issues and and address them head on. Um, as minister, it hasn't really stopped me from being able to do work. In fact, um, we've started, for example, to promote uh, tourism to LGBTQ travelers and and making sure that they know that this province is welcoming and and uh, a safe place to visit. So increasing that aspect of tourism that's been that's been great. Um, but I still have, of course, received uh, some really. Um, Awful messages, and my staff tried to do their best to try and keep those from me. Uh, but I'm one of those people that I read my own emails, so sometimes I get to my inbox before they do, and I get to read some of those things. And um, I, I guess, in a way, I prefer it to be directed to me than it be directed to some young person who doesn't really have um, the capacity to be able to handle those kinds of messages. And so, I, um, I, I it's not that I like them, but. In, in the grand scheme of things, I prefer it that it be sent to me rather than somebody who's vulnerable and wouldn't be able to have the support system that I have, for example. Mm -hmm. Has that taken time for you to be able to look at emails like that? And um, I don't know, just like, how do you handle that kind of vitriol that's sent to you? Yeah, um, it's not easy. And uh, certainly after we posted uh, the the stories that w went out by the media, um, I remember having a conversation with, uh, with a journalist and she asked me exactly what kind of messages are you getting? And I said, well, I will print some out and send them to you so you can read them. But I'm just kind of warning you right now, you might get um, discouraged by what you read. And certainly they, they were, I didn't read them. Uh, I, I certainly didn't read all of them. I read some of them, I should say. Um, I don't think nothing ever really prepares you. I don't think anybody has that thick of a skin to be able to withstand. But um, at the same time, it just inspires me to to do more. And it just tells me that uh, the work that we have started is, is not done yet, you know? And, and in terms of um, acceptance, I mean, especially within the tra trans community, I, I know they are the most visible and unfortunately the ones who are targeted the most and the most vulnerable. So somebody like me in, in a position of privilege is still going through that, I can't imagine when somebody who doesn't have those kinds of um, um, buffers around them and, and don't have the support systems around them, how difficult it must be. So I, I guess I try to put myself in those shoes and not think of myself as poor me, but rather like, how am I going to use this to fuel my fire sort of thing? Mm -hmm. And uh, there were rumblings about potentially a private member's bill related to um, banning conversion therapy in Alberta. Was that something that you had an opinion on that? Did you want to see a bill come forward that banned conversion therapy? You know, anytime we, we talk about these kinds of things, I think what's most important is to go out and talk to the community and see what the, what the issues are. Just like everything else, you know, what might be a priority for government 
not necessarily be a priority for the community. And I, I certainly have heard from some members of the community, but also at the same time, I've heard from people who say access to um, uh, a different kinds of programming, mental health is a higher priority. So it, it's difficult. However, um, I'm always open to having those discussions. I, I do think that uh, the legislation that we have today, especially now that we have uh, ensured that therapists have to be licensed and, and have to be registered with a college is going to bring another level um, of, of assurance that these kinds of practices don't take place. And, and also having a discussion with uh, with respect to the the conversations we need to have with faith communities as well. Um, so I, I do believe that there is a, a discussion to be had along those lines, but I do believe that it has to be um, a discussion with the community itself uh, to determine the priority and where it sits and um, and how, how we go about doing it. And um, I wanted to ask you, because this was this was a huge uh, deal while you have been Minister of Culture and Tourism, I wanted to talk to you about the Olympic bid mm-hmm. um, for 2026 and how that played out. Um, I know that kind of following the the failure of the um, bid and Calgarians not wanting to bring the Olympics to their city, um, there was some criticism from Mayor Nenshi about how the province had dealt with it. Um, do you feel like, do you have any regrets around how the Olympic bid played out? You know what? None whatsoever. And to be perfectly honest, I I, I found that to be rather unfortunate uh, because there's uh, there's always a a desire, I guess, to to lay blame. But from my perspective, um, I was very clear from day one that um, when when I brought this to cabinet, the way that I presented it was that I thought it would be um, a very good thing to have. A, a plebiscite. I um, I actually went down to the library that we have at the legislature, and I pulled the bid book from '88. Uh, my background is in research. I love to read it, and uh, and the folks in the library will tell you I returned the books late. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I've done that as well. So. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. <laughs> so I'm not the only one. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, I I read the book and I and I saw that, and then I started doing my own reading, and and I saw that in Vancouver it had been um, there had been a plebiscite. So that was one part. The other one was uh, ensuring that whatever support the province was going to put, that we needed to put it out there with enough uh, uh, time so that people knew what they were voting on. And all throughout this process, we were very much um, engaged with other levels of government. But of course, we don't control how the budget cycle, how cabinet agendas get set uh, at the federal level, nor do I have any control over uh, city council. And so there were different, there, were, there wasn't a synchro- uh, synchronicity of agendas with that with that uh, particular file. Um, of course, each level has different priorities and, um, and, and I don't have control over that. But all I could have is is making the promises that I made, which was to have the information released and in the hands of voters 30 days prior to, which which did happen. And the conversations, uh, frankly, that happened uh, throughout, I don't think anybody could honestly say they were surprised by the information because we gave plenty of uh, advance notice of the things we were going to release, the things that we were going to uh, um, make public. And the conversations that have begun going until then. So I, I don't regret it. I do, however, think that it was heavily politicized. And I particularly, if you look back um, throughout this process, I particularly stayed out of the discussion because I did not want it to turn into a plebiscite on either government, municipal, federal, or provincial. I didn't want it to turn into a personality contest. I want it to be about the Olympics and what it could do for the city. So I personally did not go out and champion one way or the other. 
my job was to present the best information that I could and gather all of the facts that are necessary to make those decisions, which is what I did. And then I let Albert, uh, Calgarians make that decision, which they did. Um, but unfortunately, it was turned into much more of a political debate rather than uh, uh, an issue on facts. And um, when I had conversations at the doors and people were asking me questions, I, I kept explaining over and over again that, you know, we have these uh, the infrastructure from the 88 games that by the time 2026 comes around, will be in need of uh, either refurbishing or closing them down. And at that point, the province will have to make a decision on whether you close them and tear them down or you refurbish them. The only difference here is that you will have money from the IOC and from the federal government, so the bill will not come entirely to the uh, provincial taxpayer. And when, when I presented the information like that, most people shook their heads and said, well, that makes more sense. Uh, but uh, again, the, the message was taken out and uh, it was politicized and uh, and unfortunately it became what it became. And I mean, now looking back on it, were you disappointed by the outcome? Would you have liked to see um, the bid go forward? You know what? I never really um, took a position either way. Um, I was prepared for either one of those. And in my mind, I was prepared for either one of those outcomes. So while it would have been great, I think um, it, it, it just... If you cannot get the community behind you, a project like that is never going to take off, right? It's 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 not a top-down kind of uh, project where you you can, as a politician, direct the show, so to speak. Um, and because there wasn't community um, support behind it, then I think it was the best decision possible. Uh, because then you're you're basically becoming coming from behind, right, and trying to get people to get excited about something that they didn't want in the first place. So um, I think the right outcome was the one that we got uh, for now. And um, I've heard rumblings already of people looking at other years. I frankly went through I, the process. I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've already gone through the process. I uh, I will let that uh, rest until somebody comes up with uh, with that decision whether to to revive it or not. Um, but I did learn a lot. And in the other thing too is the money that was spent doing the um, the inventory of the infrastructure uh, that exists and whether uh, at what stages of its life cycle, those that information is very useful for all levels levels of government to have. So it wasn't a complete waste is, and people thought that it was, but no, that work needed to be done anyway. It was just expedited. And now we have a better picture and we can better plan. So there is there is a positive side to this as well because of the information we learned. And um, yeah, switching gears, we know there's an election coming up. Um, and last week, uh, high-profile minister uh, Sandra Jansen, minister of infrastructure, said she's not going to be running again in Calgary. And then on the same day, um, Estefania Cortez Vargas also said she's she's decided not to run um, in uh, Strathcona Sherwood Park. Um, she, uh, but I wanted to ask you, given that uh, you have ten NDP MLAs now who have said they're not going to be running in the election, uh, do you think that's a worrying sign for your party as as we get closer to it? No, you know what? I, I think that um, everybody has to make a decision for themselves. We've had um, over this last three and a half years had the opportunity to not just know each other as colleagues, but also as friends. And and I respect the work that each of them have, have done for their constituents. They certainly lobbied me for a number of projects in their communities. And um, and, I, and I do thank them for their service. But, uh, you know, it, each of them have a different reason why uh, they're not running, um, you know, Every one of us went through that. I, I, I 
had to ask myself the question as well. And um, and I decided that this was the right thing for me to do. Uh, but I respect that everybody else had different, uh, um, I guess, different decisions that they've made. And, and, and uh, I think that Anybody who lets their name stand on a ballot um, deserves a lot of applause. And I'm not trying to be self, uh, self-aggrandizing uh, when I say that, but it, it does take a lot of energy out of you. And it does take a lot of um, out, uh, out of the, the, the time that you get with your family and other kinds of things. And so at different stages of their lives, there, there are different priorities, different things that um, go into a decision like that. And um, and I understand it, you know. Um, I'm thankful that uh, that they did stand for office in 2015, and and I'm looking forward to completing uh, finishing our mandate together. Um, and all I can tell you is that they're not going very far because they will be working through the throughout the campaign and helping us get reelected. Do you think that kind of the characterization that MLAs are jumping ship because they know the NDP won't win is a fair one? You know what? Anybody who has grown up in the province of Alberta has never given the NDP a hope in in, in any kind of situation. <laughs> so, you know, I like I, I've I've been asked that question so many times, and I said it's never been popular to be a New Democrat in this province. Nothing has changed for me, so <laughs> nothing has changed for them either. I think it's it's quite comical to be honest with you. Um, but but what we bring is a different flavor, right? We we don't have um what people traditionally think of when they think of a, an an NDP. Um, our party here in the province is very much um, um, separate and autonomous from uh, uh, the other provinces and certainly federally. And to me, it's um, a reflection of, of Albertans, right? When you look at this government today, you see a cross-section of Albertans from different backgrounds, uh, nationalities, sexual orientations, you name it. And so I think that um, we bring a different mix to to politics that people have not seen before. And I think some of the fear has to do with the fact that there aren't insiders per se trying to influence uh, policy in a specific way. And so there's a, there was a lot of um, having to get to know each other sort of thing, right? Because they, you know, people I, I hear now anecdotally um, thinking back, people tell me we didn't know who to call. We we knew who the who the chiefs of staff were. We knew where to uh, where to go if we needed to get something done. And now we didn't know anybody, and so it took a while for it. So so there's a little bit of that um, that also came into play. Personally, I I know that. Um, Everybody needs to take a look. Uh, definitely, we want to see more people excited about politics. And, and uh, you know, we had some very young people, some people who came back from retirement. So when, when you think of government, I think there needs to naturally be a turnover to keep things going and keeping it fresh and uh, keeping the perspective on point. Great. And I think uh, we're out of time, so I think we'll wrap it up there. But thank you so much, Minister Miranda, for joining me. And um, yeah, I hope to chat to you again soon. Thank you so much.